Welcome to the Intellectual Freedom Podcast. Here we analyze politics, culture, technology, personal growth and development, and society at large through the lens of critical thinking and open-mindedness, not demagoguery and partisan hyperbole. I'm Dr. David Hopkins, Humanities Professor, your host and guide. So without further delay, let's get started. Welcome, everyone, and hope all is going well and you're having a happy, productive, and fulfilling day or evening whenever you might be listening to this. Uh, I have a real treat for you. When I requested Deborah to come on this podcast, I think the thing that really kind of captured my attention out of the gate is a headline I saw online from cover girl to broke to grace. I mean, what a what a powerful statement there. So I think we can we can never learn enough from others who go through stuff and then they emerge on this other side, whether it's newfound knowledge or strength or courage or even just peace. But uh, Miss Deborah Driggs, uh, she's a cover girl. She's appeared on NBC, Oprah Network, Muscle and Fitness Magazine, Playboy, MTV, Park City Television. She's even been a moderator for CNN's Van Jones Prison Reform Movement. She's been a member of the insurance industry's million dollar roundtable for many years, even appeared on the Howard Stern show. And I know I see you're working on a book right now, Deborah. So you stay very busy. It, it's such a pleasure that you're taking some time out today to uh, to come speak with us. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for allowing me the time and having me. You know, it's I I don't take that for granted. You know, I mean, what a, what a gift that somebody wants to hear your story, right? Absolutely. So, I, so thank you so much. So Deborah, why don't you just, you know, give the listeners some background information about yourself, maybe where you came from those early years, your formative years as you were growing up. Let's just start right there. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's yeah, where did I come from? Yeah, you know, right. I, that, that could, that's a whole hour show. There I don't you know. go. You know, where did I come from? I don't know. I chose, I chose these two people that brought me to the planet Earth. And, um, you know, I, I had a lot of stuff to kind of redo in my life, I suppose, because, you know, the parents that I chose, you know, really, I, I don't know if I came here to save them or what, you know, but it's, it's so interesting when people ask you that question, where did you come from? It's like right. really deep, <laughs> profound. <laughs> it's so profound. Where did you come from? Anyway, I was born in Oakland. Okay. I was born on the Naval base in Oakland, California. And then I think like nine months later, we moved down to Southern California and, um, I grew up in the South Bay area. So mm -hmm. Torrance, Hawthorne, uh, Redondo Beach, all okay. that whole area. And that's where I grew up. And so I'm a Southern California girl. I'm a native Californian. Mm -hmm. And um, but my family is kind of this spread out. I come from just kind of all diverse backgrounds. You know, my mother's British. And wow. so my mother was born in England, her okay. mother, complete Brit, and was a war bride, married my grandfather in London in 1940-something, right? Oh, they, my goodness. They, she yeah. got married at 17 and married my grandfather, who's from the Basque country, mm. and grew up in Delta, Florida on a beet farm. Oh, and, my goodness. And you know, was a Spanish, you know, Spanish family. and Right. 
And so he was able, he joined the Army Corps, which then became the Air Force, met my grandmother during World War II. So that's my mother's background. And then my father grew up in Moses Lake, Washington. Oh. It's a town this big. <laughs> tiny, yeah. I was tiny never heard of Moses Lake. Uh, it's no. a tiny farming town. And my mm-hmm. his father was a very famous farmer. And, you know, uh, potatoes and corn, he was he was awarded, you know, the Corn King Award and and he also raised racehorses. So I had this very diverse family and um, very interesting, you know, the whole the, you know, just the whole dynamic of my family is very interesting. It's you know, there was a lot to learn for me as a kid because my dad's dad divorced which was unheard of Mm, you know in those in the 60s nobody got divorced and he divorced and remarried a widow with three daughters so they were like the Brady Bunch so my dad had three stepsisters and a real brother and for me as a kid trying to figure all that out was like (laughs) oh my god who's who what right right so I have this very crazy diverse family and so anyway you know the one thing I will say is I did love going and visiting my family in Washington, because it brought out a different side of me. You know, they, you know, I got to go see how my grandfather was very popular in his town. Everybody knew him, Percy Driggs, you know, he was like the mayor of the town. And so I got to go and see all his land and where he did his farming and the horses and everything. And that was just for me, like I felt at home there. So it was really cool. I actually asked my parents at one point, I was like, why don't we live there? Cause it just right. seemed like such a great life. Yeah. And so anyway, so that's where I grew up. I went to a private Catholic school. Um, my dream as a kid was to be an ice skater. Oh, really? and I, yeah. I started ice skating very young and, and then at some point it got to be that if I was going to take it seriously, I was going to skate before and after school. Sure. And so that, that was my life and did that till about 14. My parents got divorced and through that, through them getting divorced, I lost my dream, which was skating Mm. because, because the divorce, there was no money, you know, you know, it's interesting how that works, you know, together as a couple, they made just enough, that, you know, we would get by and there, I had, there was money for me to skate, but then apart, they just couldn't manage. And so, so that really affected my sister and I, and Mm -hmm. just the two of us, my sister and I. And so I kind of went, I lost a lot of my confidence and my, my identity because my whole identity was I got up and I skated and, and I also lost a family because I had three coaches by the time I stopped skating. And those three coaches were giving me those gems, those, those life lessons, those things that I wasn't really getting in my personal life. I was getting at the ice skating rink. And so that was really hard for me. I really missed I miss that. I miss somebody pushing me and 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 saying, you know what, you can do so much better, right? You know, and I wasn't getting that in my in my uh, personal life, so that was a big loss, right? 
yeah, you know, those coaches, those, those influencers at a young age, you know, they get paid almost nothing to do what they do. And, and the power and the influence to change is exactly is incredible. You, I mean, no my doubt. God, if you get a good teacher, a good professor, a good coach, a good mentor, you hold on to that because uh, it's so powerful what, you know, and, and that's kind of what I hope to do now, you know, is yeah. kind of give this message of, you know, don't wait till you're 57, my age, to really start to figure these things out. You know, I didn't really ever take the time to sit and look at things deeply and, and you know, in a, in, in a different way. And so I think it's really good to latch on to anybody that's going to give you good advice or that you see they're doing something that you want, you know, uh, you know, I always say, don't take advice from people that don't have what you want. Right. They're not living the way you want to live. They're not uh, making the money you want to make. They're not, they don't have the relationship you want. You know, take advice from people that have what you want. Right. Right. And oh, so that's that's kind so of, that's, yeah. And so that's kind of what I, I hope to do. But anyway, going back. So yeah. I, I, I go to high school and I completely fall apart in high school and start going down the path of, you know, partying a lot. And mm-hmm. I had to work full time in high school because there was no money. And neither of my, my parents got divorced and went crazy because they uh. were single and they missed out. You know, they got my mom was 19 when she had me. Right. And they missed out on dating and partying and all that. So they went crazy. They went crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was like, I had no parental <laughs> support because they were off doing their thing. And, yeah. and so that's okay. That was their path and journey. It wasn't okay at the time, but now I look back and I can understand it better as an adult. Right. So, you know, how I got into modeling and uh, being a spokesperson and cover girl and all of that, you know, that part of my life was... In 1983, I did a commercial for Japan, and I think I was also a professional cheerleader, and those things kind of perpetuated me into a business that I felt I was going to get attention, because attention was like my first addiction as a young kid. You know, I just really craved performing and getting attention, and so when I was a cheerleader, it was like fulfilling that need. It was like, everybody's watching. And, and so it was no accident for me that I ended up in a business where more of that was going to happen. Yeah. That was always, that was one of the questions I was wondering, what was that first thing in your youth? You know, you're, you're going through stuff. You're maybe not doing the right stuff that said, you know, maybe what I need to do is I'm going to apply to be a cheerleader. What? So, so it was more just, you had, you had an empty spot really, but yeah, it was, it was, it. it was, you know, when you're, I was really young and I was like, you know what? I know how I can get positive attention. I know how I can make people laugh. I, you know, I was like, here, look at me to try to divert from, sure. you know, the arguing that was going on or whatever negative was going on. I was always trying to like, (laughs) (laughs) let's not focus on that. Hey, over here. Yeah. Let's not look internal. Let's go have fun doing this. Yeah. 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 And so that's really how I ended up. Hmm. I think, you know, I think my journey just took me on that 
that path. And I loved it. You know, I, I was good just doing commercials and, and industrial type work. And, and there was a show that I worked on. Nobody will remember now, but it was called the fashion channel. And Mm -hmm. that was the first home shopping QVC. It was the fashion channel and it ran 24 hours and it was on, it was like, you know, right when cable was really starting, you know, those extra channels were starting and, and before you got to 200, you know what I mean? Like now we've got like 900 (laughs) channels, Sure, sure. you know, but this was before that. And so it was called the fashion channel and I was a model on the show. And from doing that, I watched the women that were hosting the show and I thought, I want to be doing that. Uh-huh. And so, you know, it's just like little things like that that would happen along the way where I was just starting to kind of figure out what, where, where, where I fit in and where, where I was going to land. Right. And so I ended up, you know, Playboy was kind of one of those things that was really interesting. I I didn't really know much about Playboy except that it was a magazine. And because I was really young, my idea of Playboy was it was a magazine that featured nude women. Uh And, you know, I didn't really know anything about it. And so when my agent called me, I was already working, doing commercials. And I had two agents. I had a commercial agent, print agent. Mm -hmm. And uh, my print agent called me and her name was Vivian. And she said, Playboy's coming out with a book called The Book of Lingerie, and they want mm-hmm. to see you about being on the cover. Wow. And of course, my first question was, well, is there nudity? Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't think so. You know, this is for the cover. And right. so I go to the famous building on Sunset, which, you know, I had driven by a thousand times. You know, it's sure. a very, it iconic. Was an ice it was yeah. iconic. And so I go to the, the building and I remember signing in and they said, you know, we'll take you back and you'll put a robe on. And then they take you in the studio to do a Polaroid. And I said, put a robe on. And they said, yeah, we need to see your body. And I'm like, no, I'm not oh. here for that. I'm here for the da da da. And so that's how the whole wow. go see call went. Right. You know, it didn't really start off great. <laughs> so I'm 25. Sure. And- don't really know or you know i i'm already a little intimidated by my surroundings i'm in the playboy building oh of course yeah. and so so i i left my undergarments on i go in the photographer's like well i need to see your whole body now to put that in perspective back then it was a different world you know this was 1989 and mm-hmm. they were looking for tattoos piercings birthmarks scars you know oh, anything sure. Anything that they would have to work with. That probably was even taboo even for Playboy back. It was. Back then, yeah. It absolutely was. And that's just how it was in 1989. Today, nobody cares about any of that. Oh, but yeah. back then, that's that was a big, that sure. took into account whether or not you were going to get the job. So I did the audition and I left and I thought, well, that didn't go very well. <laughs> And I got a call that afternoon that they wanted to test me to be a centerfold. And I couldn't believe it. I literally said on the phone, I said, I think you're confusing me with somebody Uh, else. I I did not see myself that way. Right. So cut to, I do the magazine. I end up being the centerfold for March, 1990. Uh And, and that just 
took me on a whole other path because now right. everybody wanted to meet me. I got booked on the Oprah Winfrey show. I got, I ended up doing the Bob Hope special and it just was like a whirlwind. And I think the reason why I had so much immediate success is that I had been preparing since 1983 for this moment, mm-hmm. not knowing that I didn't, wasn't smart enough to know that that was the deal, but right. I, I had been preparing because I had already done commercials. I'd already worked on the fashion network. I had I had already kind of grinded in getting a SAG card and, 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 you know, doing bit parts on, I'd done bit parts on different pilots. And, and so I was ready when Playboy came around and when they kind of threw me out into, you know, all these different things, I, I was a little bit more ahead of the game. And so then that landed me on, Playboy's Hot Rocks, which was a new music show. Mm-hmm. And I became their first VJ. And so it was like, kind of like that, that was my beginning. And then, you know, going, you know, having that beautiful, you know, time in the entertainment world, I got, you know, in 92, I ended up getting married and uh-huh. I started a family. And in 1998, <clears throat> I did a pilot. Actually, I did a TV show called Nightstand, and there was a lot of dialogue for me. And I remember working on that show, and I had three babies at home, and I just thought, "This is it. I can't. I can't keep up anymore." And so I just started. I I thought, you know, I'm going to be a full time mom, and and so, and then cut to in 2004, I got. Deborah, can I I ask you something before you go there? Because I I something really. Really curious, you know, the 80s when you were early 90s, totally different world when you talk Playboy and, and you know, geez, the, the world that you see with the pornography. I mean, it's just a, it's just 25 years later, a whole lot of stuff different. But can I ask you, how did your family or your friends react, you know, when you when you did that? I mean, did you feel the stigma like, you know, it, it was a different era back then? And, and, and how did you react to that or how did they so- react to it? I, you know, I think it was, it's, you know, to be really honest Mm -hmm. and transparent about this, I, it's really hard for me now because it seems like, you know, that's 30 years ago and, and it was a different world and I was a different person. Mm -hmm. And so it's a, it's, you know, from what I can remember, my friends and family were all like, okay, you know, it just, it didn't seem out of the ordinary for my life because I had already I think they were prepared. Mm. It wasn't like I lived in a small town and came to LA and became a centerfold. That might be a little bit different, but I was already living in North Hollywood. I was right. already doing commercials. And so I think because I was already kind of doing stuff that it wasn't a surprise. It wasn't right. like, oh wasn't my God. It just like a drum, a bomb didn't drop. It wasn't a huge bomb. It was right. kind of like another job that yeah. I got. Yeah. And so, but there were, now to talk about the stigma, there were, you know, it wasn't all roses. I mean, sure. I there were a lot of, you know, before Playboy, I was doing a lot of jobs that were very, you know, I was in the Sunday paper, you know, doing a Macy's ad or, you know, like the girl next door. And right, right, I wasn't right. getting those jobs anymore. Right. And so there was right. definitely, you know, a lot of the accounts that would hire me 
you know, that I had built up to weren't interested anymore. And that was okay. You know, you know, it's, and this is where it happens where one door shuts, 10 more open. And these were different doors now that were opening. And all of a sudden I was launched into the sexy girl Mm -hmm. role, which was funny for me because (laughs) I was playing all the funny stuff before that and so now I was launched into something different and right right but yeah there were a lot of you know there were a lot of people that papooed it or you know right well you know so I'm the fame had to be kind of crazy the first time you really have you know I've never had fame probably never I it's hard to fathom that moment is there a moment like where you were kind of blown away of the recognition and the fame, like, is, is this like really my life? Did you have one yeah. of those moments? Yeah. What, what, what was that? Yeah. I would say that it was, it wasn't the centerfold that did it for me. It was the cover. Mm. Cause I uh-huh. looked more, I looked more like the, myself on the cover uh-huh. and that time. And so the cover really, that, that, that changed things quite a bit. And I remember people coming up to me going, are you on the cover of Playboy? Like this, like, cause I didn't really, I didn't really tell, you know, my roommates knew and, mm-hmm. you know, people close to me knew, but you know, people that I interacted with would be like, are you, is that, you know? And so right. that, but, but also it didn't last long because I didn't, I didn't stay long in that world. Right. right. You know what I mean? I didn't stay in the playboy world that long. Right. So it didn't, it didn't last for me like it does for some of the other girls that like Pam Anderson, who did 20 covers. And, you know, I just didn't, I didn't, I tried to move away. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's a really hard thing to navigate the entertainment world and, and, you know, it's interesting now. I understand it more now. Obviously, it's the way life is right. about branding and marketing and all of that. And it, at the time, I didn't understand it. But in some way, I kind of intuitively knew because I kept saying, I want to move away from playing the sexy part and move into. And so because of that, because I was moving away and I was studying acting, I was in a two year Meisner program and I started getting the auditions that were more away from the playboy stereotype and so I started getting called in for pilots and funny roles and I started doing comedy and and things that I thought I was right for and so you know intuitively I kind of knew how to do that but I didn't I was young. And so I didn't really know how to map it out completely. And, you know, and it's really hard too when you have people around you going, well, you should just do this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know what I mean? Everybody's got the right answer for you. Everybody's always do. (laughs) And then, and then of course there's always the problem of needing money. And so you end up taking a job that you probably wouldn't take sure. You know, I did a lot of B movies just because I needed the money to sustain myself to keep yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So, so you get. So now you're married. Sorry to interrupt you there, but I just That's had some okay. questions. No, I'm glad you, know. you did. Yeah. So, so you're married. You have the kids. You're starting to question whether uh, 
this is this is where I really want to be and and that sort of thing. So you know, pick up pick up from there and and, and tell me what what happened after the kids and the family. Well, I think I think what would really support your viewership is you know what do you do when you lose everything? Right. You know, and that that happened to me and. I, you know, never really prepared or saw that coming. You know, I found myself 40 years old, three young kids, and I, I got really scared. You know, I, I, you know, that doesn't leave ever. You know, you remember those certain things that happen that, that kind of, they're either going to do one or two things. They're going to shut you down or they're going to make you go forward. And, and for me, it kind of shut me down for a while because I got super scared. You know, I thought, well, who am I now? If I'm not married, if I'm not the actress, if I'm not the, the, this, and I have three kids and I needed to work and I really didn't know what to do. And I remember that one of the first jobs I took was I was a substitute teacher in the school district where we lived. And I did that for a while. And then I ended up working in special ed, but there was not enough money, you know, and it, it, I needed to make more money. And so I just kept moving forward. And then I worked in a spa. I did all these, like, you know, anybody that is listening is going to go, yeah, I've been there. I've done that. You know, where you just take all these different jobs. And then finally I landed in real estate Mm. And I got my real estate license and I was starting to get my confidence back. And I was starting to feel, okay, I'm actually smart. I, you know, I passed my real estate test and, and I started working with a team that was really successful. And I said, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to start my own business. I'd rather just be your assistant and learn from the best and I was smart enough to, to know to do that. Mm. And so I found this really great team that I worked with. And we had a great run. I mean, we started doing really well. And in 2008, as we know, that took a little bit of a turn Absolutely. because I was work. I, I, I raised my kids in Park City, Utah. And so it was a small second home environment. And so I worked in the second home multi-million luxury home you know, environment. And that was the first thing to go. And so here I am again. Now what, you know, now what do you do? And then I just really took a a dive into depression. And, you know, I ended up doing a stint, you know, in in rehab for three months for depression, because I really just just thought, you know, what's the point? I got to that point where I was like, what's the point? of, you know, nothing's working out. I have three, I can't support my kids. I felt like such a failure that it was like, what's the point of this? And then, you know, you know, it's like that saying in Castaway where he says, you never know what the tide's going to bring in. Right. You know, you get to that lowest point and then you never know what's going to come up next. And, you know, I ended up going to Ocala and living with my mom. I'm like 46 years old and I'm living with my mother. I mean, it's like, how low can you go? You know, and my kids have to go live, get, you know, they're going to go live with their dad now. They didn't want to leave me and I didn't have the money or the means to support them anymore. Mm -hmm. So I started over and I got a job in New York 
working for a print procurement company. This was after many applications. I This was after working on a boat. I worked on a boat just to make some money. Right. You know, I did dog work. I mean, I was like, it was. Whatever you had to do. You just... Whatever I had to do. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up working for this company in New York. And then things really started to turn around because I had this land in my lap and it was like a gift. It was through a friend, through a friend, through, you know, that offered me this opportunity. And you know what? It was a gift. And I thought, this is my time right now. If I'm going to pull it together, you know, I'm going to, I have to do, I have to do whatever it takes right now. And, and, you know, because I, you know, what were, what were my choices at this point? You know, I was like, now I'm, this is it. I, I don't know. There was something inside of me that was like, go for it big, fail big, who cares, mm-hmm. you know, just do it. And so I called every single person I know. And I had so many people, you know, it's funny when you actually ask for the help and, and you get really congruent with whatever it is that you feel passionately about. And all of a sudden people were willing to help. And, and I said, look, all I want is if you could just introduce me to the head of procurement at your business, and if they would just take a meeting with me, one meeting. And that's how I built my business in that business. And what's really beautiful about it is that even though I didn't sustain, I didn't build a career in procurement, I, I still honestly to this day can't even tell you what procurement is. <laughs> What I can tell you is, as I am a phenomenal networker, mm-hmm. and I would insert my play, put myself in a place or at a table where I would network to the next thing I knew, I had a meeting with Revlon. And that was what I was good at. It wasn't so much that I understood procurement or print, <laughs> but I understood how to network and how to get meetings and build relationships. Right. You know, Deborah, that just brings something to my mind that I talk about in my classroom a lot about, you you may say it might've been luck, but the fact is you just jumped in and did it. And and so many people get saddled with self-doubt, like, oh, there's, there's no way I could just call up people and ask for that one meeting or no way I can go to that networking guy. I'm too shy to, I'm, I'm not smart enough. I don't speak well enough. I'm, I'm an introvert, whatever the thing might be, but it's so important to see you, you, you will never succeed. If you don't, you got to jump over something at some well, point, you just have to do it, or you're just going to stay in exactly the same spot. Cause the reality is so many people like me or, 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 or even yourself, there's people that get stuck in the same job forever and ever, and they just keep wandering from this at, but because they won't take that step to go forward. I think it's interesting. I, I wrote a blog. I, I don't remember the name of the, which I've written over 52 blogs. Mm-hmm. And so one of the blogs I wrote, and it might be in myself, in my self doubt, it's called self doubt. It might be that blog because I said, isn't it amazing that the statistics show 80% of human beings in a job want to leave that job and only 1% will. Oh, it's stunning. Yeah, I've seen it's numbers. Stunning. Yeah. It's so stunning to me. And 
you know, I say this all the time, you know, I tell, I tell my kids, I tell when their friends, sometimes their friends ask me, you know, for advice or an opinion about something. And I go, 80% of anything you do is showing up. 80%. If you think about that, absolutely, that is a staggering number. 80% of Anything you do, I don't care if you're a professor like what you do. I don't care if you're a writer. I don't care if you walk dogs. Right. 80% is showing up. The 20% is what you know. Right. And if you if you can just wrap your head around that, especially at a young age, if you can get this at a young age and wrap yourself around that and understand that it is all about just showing up is half the battle. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I was, uh, I can't remember. I was, I was talking to a small business owner down here in Tampa and you know, you know, labor is really tight everywhere. And you I, live near my mother. <laughs> yeah. I'm in Tampa. Yeah. My I, mother I, lives in Ocala. So yeah. I fly, when I fly to visit her, I fly into Tampa. You know what I know of Ocala best is the horse farms. My horse. goodness. Gorgeous. Gorgeous up there. I told her, I said, I'm getting close to retiring in Ocala with you. <laughs> there you go. I mean, just some of those horse farms are, are beautiful. Unbelievable. But but this business owner asked him, you know, about what how was what was going on. He said, you know, the one thing I need more than anything is just people to show up. He said, I'll pay money for people who will just consistently. It, it, it's crazy how simple it's too simple to be true, but it is really. Well, we complicate simple. it. Yeah. We complicate it. So I wrote, uh, like I said, you know, and you can go to my website. I've written 52 blogs. Like I said, I, that was my goal to write a blog a week for a year. So I'm on, we're on week 14. Okay. One of the blogs that I just wrote, it's posted is all about doubting yourself. Mm -hmm. And I go into self-doubt all the time. Listen, I write blogs. If somebody would have told me 10 years ago, you're going to be writing blogs and you're going to write a book, I would have said, you're crazy. I don't write. Right. Today, I write. Right. Not only do I write for my website, I've written blogs for other people's websites. Yep. Yep. And and it's because I show up. Yep. And the other thing that will happen, your last ones, the week 52 are going to be a million times better than the first ones, but you just have to start and you just build skill and you build it. Listen, you yeah. just have to start are the, the key, key, it's key. You just have to start. And here's here's the greatest thing. So I we're going completely off, but I don't care. Oh, no, no, that's totally so, so I started writing these blogs, not knowing anything. I don't know anything about SEO or, you know, searching engines and I'm learning about social media. I'm way behind on the eight ball with all of this, but I'm learning. Mm -hmm. And so I had a marketing meeting this morning and we had, we went in and we took one of my blogs and we re redid it in the format that really shows up better on the internet. So for example, if, if you type it, you know, all this, if you type in a word, I want my blog to show up. Yeah. Yeah. And so I don't know how that works. I just write blogs. Right, right. Right? I'm not a marketing, you know, online marketing person, but I learned today because I showed up. Yep. And you'll learn how to embed those in your writing better and better. And Exactly. But if I didn't show up to the meeting, 
I wouldn't have under, I would have said, oh, somebody else can do it. And that's the mindset that's shifted for me. And it's taken years is that, yes, I show up for everything. (laughs) I show up for everything because I never know where the idea is going to come from or where the next gig is going to be. You don't know. Sure. And and so so some people would call that you were lucky. Others would say you showed up a whole lot of times and you happened to be there right when that opportunity. So, so, you know, a lot of, a lot of haters, ah, she's just, Deborah's just lucky. She's just, she's just been a beautiful model. Of course it's easy for her. Right. (laughs) And you know, that, yeah, we do that. Tell that to Deborah when she was sitting in lockdown in a crazy ward because I couldn't figure out my life. You know, it's like I was at the very bottom. So when I speak now or when I talk and I tell my story and I share my, my experience, it's, it doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter that I modeled. I I still went through the mud, you know, I still went through times that were so, so hard Right. So hard. Yeah. It was like I couldn't see my way out of the paper bag. And now, and by the way, do these things happen today? Do does does stuff come up? Absolutely. Always this is life. It goes like this, right? And so, but here's the great news. Mm -hmm. And this is what I want your listeners to, to go. Oh, oh, and have that aha moment. Okay, so here it is. You don't have to go into these dark times like I did without any tools. You don't have to. Right. You don't have to grind it out. You know, you don't have to suffer. You can actually, today, everything is accessible. 15 years ago, not so much. But today, oh my God, you could go online and type in whatever it is you're having a struggle with and you'll get all this advice. Yep. It's up to you to use it, but you don't have to. So you, if you prepare now, especially if you're young, if you're in college mm-hmm. or you're just starting out in a career and you prepare now, if you say to yourself, okay, I graduated college, things look really good. Right. Got my first internship. I, I, I know what I want to do. But let's just say 10 years from now, that all goes to shit. Mm-hmm. It all goes can, out. And it does sometimes. sometimes. And it will. Yep. It, uh, the world is changing rapidly <laughs> right now, as we all it know. Is. So a lot of jobs are going to be out. Mm-hmm. Okay. Drivers, out. A lot of the transportation world is changing, car business changing, uh, money business changing, medical business changing, yeah. robotics coming in. A lot of things are changing. So if you prepare yourself in the beginning and you start at a very young age and you say, you know what, what if, what if, it's a great question, what if my career only has a 10 year life? What would my backup plan be? Right. And everybody should have a backup plan. Right, right. And that would save so much suffering. 
So you know how uh, in the entertainment world, I used to get this all the time when I was in my 20s and I was doing commercials and people would literally say, say this to me. And when you're young, you can't hear it. Mm-hmm. But they would literally say to me all the time, well, what's your backup plan? don't have one (laughs) and by the way if somebody would have said it to me a little differently like have you ever thought about what life would be like if you weren't an actress right different same question but different approach and I think it's really important if people can say to themselves have I ever thought about what life would be like if what I do wasn't really necessary in 10 years. For example, people that do x-rays or, uh, uh, you know, that we, we all know that that's going into, you know, ro- robotics are taking mm-hmm. that over. So you're not going to need a lot of manpower. You know, the, those jobs are not going to be so much. Right. So you might not want to study that in medical school. You might want to go down a different path. It's like knowing what's coming in 10 years, in 20 years, in 30 years, having foresight. Right. So for anybody, you know, and, and preparing. And when you use those tools and you prepare, I think there's less chance of going down a rabbit hole and suffering because you're prepared. I never had a backup plan. Right. That's all that really happened to me. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, the story's different now for me. You know, at the time, yeah. I thought I was dying. Right. But you know what I mean? I, but the truth of the matter is, and the story really is, I didn't have a backup plan. I didn't have any type of support system in place that, oh my God, what if I got divorced? And now I don't want to say you don't want to, you know, you want to be smart. I mean, yeah, you know, I'm not, I'm not a pessimist. You don't go into a a marriage. Hey, by the way, what are we going to do if we get a divorce? You know, (laughs) But, but it wouldn't be. It wouldn't be such a horrible idea to go, you know, in the event, I don't want to be completely stuck in a situation where I can't get completely lose myself. Right, right. And I think sometimes that's what happens in in in, in the world is that we lose ourselves in, in jobs, in relationships with no backup. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think when we're young, we're, we think we're 18 and bulletproof that nothing's ever going to happen to us no matter what, but, you know, having that backup plan, it doesn't mean you don't chase that immediate goal and dream and ambition. So if I got a college student who wants to be a nurse, Hey, go for it. But Hey, it doesn't hurt. It only expands your perspective and your intellect and your knowledge of what's going on around in the world to prepare yourself for other contingencies. That's what money managers do all the time. You know, they, yeah. They hope to make money, but they're, they're, it's like a puzzle. They're constantly yeah. looking to see where things can be better fit. And the other, you know, the, the greatest entrepreneurs, and I have that entrepreneurial spirit, the greatest right. entrepreneurs are constantly never ending, innovating. Right. They're constantly innovating, you know, and they're not emotionally attached to the company or the brand or the relationship entrepreneurs are visionaries they're leaders and so managers and and uh 
you know, CEOs, they get very emotional about the company and saving the company and Mm -hmm. entrepreneurs are like, sell it and do this, you know? (laughs) And so there's a different mindset. Right. And, and so, you know, to be a really good entrepreneur is to be a really good leader and to see that this is what's coming down, you know, and it's really, this is where entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial, spirits get crushed is because the people around them can't see it. Right. Right. Excellent. And when they can't see it, then that can kind of make an entrepreneur doubt themselves. And it's really, that's so horrible because they're the real leader. Right. Right. And, but you know, good entrepreneurs, they see it. They see what's coming. They know what's coming ahead. They know how the industries are changing they know that the medical world is changing. They know that the, the the financial world is changing and 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 they're preparing. Right. And that's that's really why you have uh, kids that quit school. And, you know, like we, we, we hear this all the time. This person quit school, has no education and built this company. It's not. It's not so much that they quit school as the story. The story really is, is that they saw a vision, they're a leader, and they have an entrepreneurial spirit. Right. And right. there's no education, really. And you probably, I don't know if you agree with me or not, you're a professor that can teach that. No, you, so education can be great for many people. But when you look at entrepreneurs, business, I mean, many of the most successful don't have a college degree or, you know, never, never. Bill Gates, uh, one example, just a, a towering figure, obviously. Uh, it's definitely not uncommon because learning in a school is one thing. And, and in general, people who get a degree are going to do better than those who don't. But if you're an entrepreneur, maybe one of the best things you can do is just get out there and, and bust it because, yeah. you know, if, if that's your thing, and, and there's it's, always a balance, there's always things you can learn in college, how to do the yeah. book, how to finance, how economics and all that stuff. But at the yeah. same time, like you say, those entrepreneurs that are successful, you don't, you can't teach that in college. No, you cannot. And, <laughs> and, and so I, I, my, my top three things are, mm-hmm. don't worry about having a purpose, have a backup plan, have a toolbox. And practice being consistent because consistency is what's going to save anybody through a dark time. Right. If you can just be consistent, you know, I, I have a few things in my day that they're non-negotiables. They, these are things that have to take place in my day mm-hmm. because it helps me to stay consistent and and stay in line on what I'm doing. If I'm not consistent, then my brand's not going to be consistent. Right, right. So give us a flavor. What is it, uh, the typical day in the life? What, is, well, how, what does that look like? So people can have a flavor because obviously you've been successful at this, um, you know, for and many years. This, so. And this is something that is, you know, it took me a lot of years to learn too. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's trial and error. You figure it out after so many, you know, after so many failures for me that were for me, being in a dark time 
just uh-huh. is preparing me for some type of growth. Right. You know, that's where the spiritual growth is going to happen is right. when you're in something that feels like a failure or it's dark or it's not, not really where you want to be. Right. But right there, I'm like, oh, here we go. Uh-huh. Here's the growth is getting ready to happen. Or if something doesn't go my way today, I go, well, that just yep. means something's about to happen. And that's, that's really the truth about that. So my day typically starts out at the same time and ends at the same time. Okay. So I like that, those two components right off the bat. So I get up anywhere between six and 7 a.m. Mm-hmm. I'm not really a morning person. So that was probably the hardest one for me. <laughs> You know, like today right. I had an 8 a.m. marketing, my, I had a marketing team meeting and uh-huh. it's a two hour meeting. And for That's me true. to be there at eight o'clock, I have to get up at six because I have to prepare. Right. Right. So, you know, and when I say prepare, that's like, I have my hot water with lemon. Mm-hmm. I do all my little rituals. I get a little bit of prayer and meditation Uh I maybe read something inspirational so that I start off in a good place. Right. Absolutely. (laughs) Because I'm, I'm a person that goes right into crushing it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's just my nature. I just want to crush it. Right. So I have to do the contrary action to that and start out in a relaxing way. Okay. And, and that's very contrary to how I would want to do things. So, yeah. so I have to practice that every morning. So that's how I start my day. Okay. And then, you know, I have my meetings. I, I like to get my meetings out of the way in the morning. Mm-hmm. And then I like to get either a yoga class or a hike or, or just go for a 45 minute walk. Right. You know, I don't need to do anything rough. I am. 57 years old. I'm going to be 58. I don't want any get, I don't want any injuries at this point in my life. I'm all good. I did all that athletic stuff. I've hit, I've hit most of my athletic goals really. So I don't need to do anything hardcore at this point Mm -hmm. in my life. Um, I like to sit in silence a lot. And then I put aside a good hour every day where I write. Now, whether I write a blog, sometimes I just riff. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I just journal. I never know what I'm going to write about. And by the way, I also don't reread what I write. So once I write it, I write it. And then I send it to a woman who checks spelling and grammar. Uh, She doesn't rewrite it either. And then we send it to my marketing team and we then create a flyer or whatever to create it into a blog. So Mm -hmm. that's, that's kind of my process with that. I have three books that I'm working on that are coming out next year. Nice. One is now in the actual, it's getting very close to being published. It's all the, all the editing phases. Mm -hmm. And now we're at the point where we're picking cover interior design. Oh boy. Yeah. You're getting close then, aren't you? Getting very close. And this is a book that my grandfather, my mother's father wrote. It's called son of a Basque. 
and it's a, a historical nonfiction, uh, historical fiction. Wow. Based on his life. Hmm. Characters are changed. And so we, you know, being that he's no longer with us and my grandmother's no longer with us. Uh-huh. My mother and I had to make a lot of the editing changes because, you know, there's always going to be mistakes in a book. And so we had to make those changes. And, you know, and and so I'm going to be promoting the book and and I'm self-publishing it. I formed my own publishing company because I decided that if I'm going to do all the work and selling it, I might as well publish the book. Get all the profit. So so it's been a great learning year for me this year. I've gone through so many talk about ups and downs and like, do I really want to do this? Am I, am I, you know, then my mind trying to talk me out of it. Right. Right. And I have to go back and read one of my blogs and go, (laughs) you wrote about this mindset thing. You might want to reread that. Right. right, So, you know, I got to walk my own talk and it's really not, it's hard. Right. No, it's, 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 I go through everything that everybody else is feeling. And so that's, I hope that comes through when people read my blogs. I hope they go, oh, yeah, she's like me. Like, I get that, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of what's going on. My website has all this information. Yeah. Do you even want to give it right now, Deborah? Just get it out there so everybody. It's it's my name. It's DebraDriggs.com. Yeah. And and everybody too, when I send this out, you can click on her link. I'll have it out of the posted below. Yeah. So it's my website. There's 14 blogs up. I write a blog a week. So, yeah. and then what I'm going to do, I decided this last night, actually, Uh is I'm going to take every single blog for 52 weeks and make a coffee table book and and just have it be Deb's Den. Oh, neat. And, and all idea. the blogs will be printed with the beautiful flyers that we've created. I'm like, if we've gone to all this work, we might as well make it a coffee yeah. table book. And and so, you know, so there's all these, this is what happens when you have, when you get up at 6 a.m. and you go to these right. meetings, you know. <laughs> yeah, we, it's fascinating what you say, because I recently wrote a you, you have a perfect model all the way back to the ancient Greeks, mind, body, spirit. You wake up early because successful people almost always, always get up early and they don't go rush and slam three cups of coffee and run out the door to McDonald's. They sit, they read, they meditate or they pray. They get their mind right before the day starts they attack the day but somewhere in there they get physical activity because the mind and the body are connected inextricably and successful people almost invariably understand that connection because you have to you have to move the body like you said it can be so simple as a walk or a hike but but you you won't operate optimally if you don't do you know and i suggest too that everybody kind of take a piece of paper and draw a circle and make a pie chart, you know, to create the balance in your life. So for me, my balance was so far off. So, so anything that I talk about, I talk from my experience of things that I did wrong and I failed at, right. I failed poorly, failed poorly at having balance. Right. I was doing really great. Like I used to do all this crazy adventure racing and I was physically in the best shape of my life but my relationships were suffering. Mm-hmm. My financial world was suffering. My spiritual life was suffering. So it's having, you know, and that, 
if if you get that early on in life, it that's that's what I'm saying. If you get the tools and you do this balance and you have all your areas, right. you know, right. where you go, okay, where am I putting some energy towards my finances? Am I putting energy towards my relationships? What does all that look like? Yes. Yeah, no doubt. And for me, it's still a work in progress. You know, I still like go, oh God, I'm not giving this enough attention. Yeah. Because my personality is that of if I'm gonna create something, I put all the eggs in that basket. And that's good, but it's also taking away from the other part of my pie. Right. And so then being aware of that. I can go, okay, I haven't been on a hike in a week mm-hmm. to go get in nature and Let get back get in balance. And so, but see, the thing is, is that it takes a while to become aware of that. Right. And once there's an awareness, it's really easy to sit and not be so set in, in the mind, in the head. Because once you get in the head, you're dead. Mm-hmm. And so instead, looking at your chart and going, what part of my chart am I missing? Because that's what's going on. Perfect. You know? Yeah. So, so Deborah, I think maybe that might be a great place for us to stop because you have given us so much. And everyone, you need to check out Deborah's stuff online because, you know, it's it's too easy sometimes... We see on the external someone who has been famous like Deborah and and in the modeling world and oh it's all so easy and it's oh she must have had everything just handed to her on a silver platter. Well, no, it doesn't work like that. It just it doesn't. And we can all learn so much from your story, Deborah. And I appreciate again immensely you taking the time to come out on my show today. Thank you so much. Thank all you. Right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. I so hope you found value in the topic today. You know, every single day, if we can expand our perspective just a little bit on any range of topic, whether it be about our physical body, intellectual sharpness and perspective, or spiritual growth, then if we stay consistent in the long run, we all become more well-rounded people able to cope with all manner of events in life. I always appreciate you clicking like or follow to this podcast. Generally, a new episode is published every single week. And please, if you have any questions or comments, I would love to hear about them. With that, I hope you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week until we talk again.